0: When I think of Hilburn Drive Baptist Church, um, it's not the building that comes in mind or the the squeaky pews, <laughs> but it's the faces of the people here. Uh, always do I have fond and encouraging memories of my time that I've spent here. I've been here a little while, and uh, I'm so thankful that you've put up with me. Not everybody puts up with me. I was in a church uh, a couple of years ago. I about got thrown out, really. It was amazing. Me and the pastor went round and round one night. I was in one of these, so I don't know even how I got invited to this place. I normally don't go to these mega churches. But uh, it was an interesting thing. I had to call for prayer support before the Sunday morning service. But anyway, that's another story. But I've always found it so enjoyable and blessed to be here among you people. And I thank you for your hospitality and all the good work you've done to host this conference. We will have to pray for one another as Christians, because we always are encouraged in the Scriptures to do that, but especially in the difficult and challenging days that are laying before us. We will need much prayer support, every one of us. Your pastor, your fellow members, and so on. Let us be diligent and vigilant to pray for one another. Anybody that comes to your mind in your church, you pray for them. Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, beginning of verse 28. And one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well. Ask him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That is, He's Lord alone. There is no other God. That is fundamental and foundational to every approach to God. If you come to God, you must believe that He is the Lord alone. The Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. You will not be disappointed when you love God with all you have. He is the only one that is worthy of your love. That is the full devotion of your heart. The full devotion of your heart belongs only to this one, the Lord your Creator and your Redeemer. This is the first commandment. And the second is like that it is there on the same level, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is no, there is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, It could be added here, well said. Good job. That's the emphasis here. Can you imagine saying that to Jesus? Good job, Jesus. You spoke right. Well said, Master, Thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but He. And to love Him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered discreetly, that is when he, when he heard his response and his, com- his own commentary on the commandments, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. You're not in. And I want to deal from these three words, the title, far, near, and in the kingdom. You're not in yet. But you're not far from being in. You're near. Now there, as we will look at this and think this morning, concerning this, let's pray this morning. Let's ask the Lord to help us right now. Lord Jesus, what a wonderful scene has been set before us in these words. We thank You, dear Lord, for Your grace. And we thank you, dear Lord, for recording this for our instruction. Lord, we pray that we all might examine ourselves to see where we are in relationship to the kingdom of God. Are we in? Help us to see and know, are we in it? Are we a part of it? Help us, dear Lord, to discern and care where we're at. Are we close? If we're not in, dear Lord, are we close to being in? Are we not far from getting in? Oh Lord, are we somewhere way out, scattering, far away, not even near, close to being in? Help us, awaken us, Lord. Help us understand our state. Let us not be deceived about ourselves. We thank You, dear Lord, for this meeting that You've given us. We thank You for the preaching that we've heard. The good preaching of Your Word by these faithful men. Thank You for them. Bless everyone. Bless this church, Father, I pray. Continue to keep Your hand upon her in the days to come. And Lord, lift us up. Encourage us. Give us ever inner resource and grace that we need to stand faithful to Thee and to Thy Word these days. Let us not fall. Let us not flounder. Let us be strong in the Lord and in the power of your might. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Lord Jesus had been refuting the Sadducees' attempt to make the resurrection look ridiculous. You see, the Sadducees did not believe in two things. They did not believe in the immortality of the soul, nor did they believe in the resurrection of the dead. And therefore, they came with this preposterous situation uh, derived from one of the commandments found in Deuteronomy that if a man dies and he doesn't have any children, his brother is obligated to marry the widow and have a child by him. And so they set up this scenario of seven brothers that were all married to the same woman. And therefore, that they all died and they didn't have any children. But in the resurrection, whose wife shall this woman be, who also died? Now, basically what the Lord Jesus does is to show that they are the ones that are ridiculous. They are attempting, if you please, to discredit the reality of the resurrection, but Jesus shows and tells them that they are greatly in error for two reasons. Their beliefs are wrong, number one, in verse 24. You'll notice this. He said, You do therefore err because you know not the Scriptures. They're ignorant of the Scriptures. Can you imagine? Sadducees. Listen, because you have the Bible doesn't mean that you know the Bible. There's altogether the difference. Here they are ignorant of the scriptures and Jesus charges them with ignorance. And beloved let me say that ignorance of the holy scriptures is no little thing. Ignorance of the scriptures will cost you your soul. You better get busy studying them. God has spoken. And his word has been put down in a book. It is written. It is written. And it stands sealed and settled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but the words of God shall never pass away. So he says to these people, they're ignorant because they're in error. They know not the Scriptures. You personally will be responsible for knowing and believing the Scriptures. Don't think you can be indifferent toward God's book. One day... You will be judged by the Scriptures. Paul says that men shall be judged. The secrets of men's hearts shall be judged by my Gospel. Now, that includes, of course, the truth of the Gospel and the words of the Gospel. But he also says that you're in error on your views of the resurrection because you're ignorant of the power of God. Notice the last part of verse 24. He says, "...you know not the Scriptures, neither do you know the power of God." You are in error because you believe in a weak, limited God. You really do not believe in the God of the Bible. Your God that you believe in is weak and limited. He is not the God of Scripture. Isn't it amazing how Religious people can be fooling around with the things of God and yet not believe in the God of the Bible. I suggest to you that there are many people in church this morning that do not believe in the God of the Bible. Here he says, You do not understand, you do not believe in the power of God. Your God is limited. He's not the God of Scripture that you believe in. Your God is too small to affect life after death. But rest assured that the true God can raise the dead. And the true God does keep men's souls, whether saved or lost. The true God keeps men's souls alive forever. Think about this. You live and move and have your being because of the power of God. And you will never cease to be through all eternity to come because of the power of God. God will keep your soul alive forever. So they did not believe in the power of God. Now, after this reproof of not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God, He informs them that God will raise the dead, in verse 25, to a new form of life. In other words, you're mistaken, and he says, when the resurrection occurs, in verse 25, for when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. He says that, first of all, he said, I want you to understand that in the resurrection, men are going to rise from the dead, but the it will be in a new form it will be in a new form of life that is unknown now and doesn't the scripture verify that beloved does it appear what we shall be yet but we know that that sexuality and marriage like we experience now in this world is not going to be in the world to come jesus said it will be an altogether new form of living it will be us We will have our faculties. We will have our bodies and souls. And it will be a glorified body. But, oh, it will not be of the same order and of the same dimension that we know now. So he says that God will raise the dead to a new form of life. Different than we know now. And then he quotes the Scriptures. It's interesting. In verse uh, 26, And as touching the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses? And by the way, the Sadducees, that's the only books that they did take as credible as were the book of Moses. The first five books of the Pentateuch. And he says, have you not read in the book of Moses how that in the bush God spake unto Moses saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And he says, he is not the God of the dead. Listen, he's the living God, and if he's the living God, and if he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then they must be immortal. They're not just—they're not just brief flashes of existence and then they're gone. No, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are yet alive. I tell you, they're alive right now. In the presence of God. So here he quotes the Scriptures that quote God, declaring something that they do not believe. They do not believe in the immortality of the soul. But Jesus says the Scriptures and God Himself has declared that the souls of men are immortal. Now this debate and the answer of the Lord Jesus provokes a young scribe to come forth and ask a much Debated question concerning the law in verse 28. Then one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he answered them well. It's obvious that this particular scribe was of not the Sadducee sect, but of the Pharisee sect who did accept the resurrection and the immortality of the soul. But he came forward with a question all of his own. And it was the most debated question among the Jews of that hour, which is the first commandment. You see, they had searched all the Scriptures and come up with about 549 commandments. Things that they believed that God wanted men to do. And it was a real issue to them which was the biggie, which was the important commandment. What did God consider most valuable and most important? it was a very in fact they were occupied preoccupied with discussing this all the time and so this scribe comes forth and asks this question which is verse which is the first commandment of all and then you we read of course the answer of Jesus and this scribe appreciates and agrees with the answer Of Jesus. Can you imagine? He basically voices his wholehearted approval of Christ's assessment of the law. He had come, as it were, to the same conclusions. And he, when he heard Jesus, you see, he had been, this is where we're going to get into, he had come already in his own heart to the same conclusions that this was the first commandment. This was the biggie. This was the vital one. This was the one that consumed all the other commandments. And he praises Christ for giving a good answer. He says, I'm glad you agree with me. That's exactly what he's saying. In verse 32, when he says, well, said, Master, well said. Teacher, I was testing you and you're right. You have spoken the truth. Now I want you to notice something here, folks, and it's very important. The truth of God's Word stands independent and fixed, notwithstanding what anyone says or thinks. Even the Son of Man believe that God has exalted his word and his truth stands fixed and firm and settled and when Jesus was giving his assessment of the law and we know Jesus the teacher Jesus the man the scribe is saying yes that's right you're right I have come to that conclusion. And then in verse 33, the amazing thing, he adds his own commentary to the supremacy of love. The love of God. And the love of one's neighbor in verse 33. Notice he adds. He said, let me tell you something now. Isn't this amazing? He said, you've given a good answer? Well, I'm going to add to it. Look at it. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love thy neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. You see, here is his conclusion. Here is his summary of from the gleaning of his own studies of the Scripture. That the heart, we must not miss this, but the heart and the soul of what pleases God the most, what is the element of true religion, is the supreme love of God and devotion of your heart. My son, give me thy heart. He is not just interested in your works. He is interested in your heart affections. Brother, let me tell you, when your heart gets right and your affections settle upon your Creator, you are moving in the right direction. Such your affections on those things that are above. Yes, and so, He makes this commentary that yes, the heart and the soul of true religion is the supreme love and devotion to God. It's about God. And this thing is about God. It's about loving Him. Listen, before we talk about anything such as ordinances and church doctrines and systems of theology, let's talk about, first of all, getting things in their proper place. Let's talk about getting in a proper relationship with our Creator and our Redeemer. Loving Him. Loving Him and appreciating Him. This is essential! It's about God and loving Him before you ever talk about works. The true love and devotion of God is the proper foundation. In fact, this is amazing. This is the foundation on which all the commandments are built. All of God's commandments are based on the commandment of love. That's why I can't... I find it a little bit difficult and hard to understand why some people say the commandments are no longer important. Because the commandments are not grievous. They're based on love. Every commandment has love in it. It's the basis of the commandments. It's the foundation of the commandments. The love of God. All. When you're loving God and you're loving one another, you're doing what God has commanded. So, love is the fulfillment of the law. So it's this thing about a proper relationship with God it is about total surrender and commitment to love and follow the Lord. I will tell you this morning that you will not get into heaven with a half-hearted commitment to the living God. This degree of devotion will not cut it if it's anything other than your whole heart. Now, you don't have to be perfect. You may have many flaws. We all do. But let me tell you, God is not going to accept any kind of cheap, half-hearted, rinky-dink, little amount of devotion. It has to be your whole heart or nothing at all. That's what He wants. Amen? Thanks for the commentary. surrender. The heart of the issue of pleasing the Lord is wholeheartedness. And all of the law spoke to this end. All of the commandments pointed in this direction. So does the Gospel. Now listen, this thing of just disinterested, typical, religious works is obnoxious to God if your heart's not in it. Disinterested, Ritual, form, and ceremonies are nothing in themselves. Now, all of that was introduction. (laughs) You're in trouble, aren't you? I've got to move on with Brother Roger. We've got to get him time to preach. But what we want to focus on here now, and we're going to be brief. It's not going to take long, hopefully. In verse 34, we want to focus on The truths that are related to what Christ said to this young man in verse 34 when he said, When Jesus saw that he had answered discreetly, wisely, prudently, with insight, he said, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. What did he mean? It's a reality this morning. You stand in a proximity. You stand in a position to the kingdom of God. You are either outside it or inside it. That's a reality. That is a spiritual condition. Now, by nature, you are not in the kingdom of God. And let me tell you this, what the kingdom of God is, simply when God, you surrender to Him and He begins to rule your life. You're in His kingdom. When you begin to operate spiritually, to be in the sphere of life, where Christ is your master, and He rules your life, and you've been called out and left the kingdom of darkness and sin, and now you are under the rule and the reign of King Jesus. The kingdom of God is salvation. If you're not in the kingdom of God, you're not saved. If you are saved, you are in the kingdom of God. That's a spiritual reality. And if you're outside of the kingdom of God, you need to get into the kingdom of God. And that's the whole message of the New Testament. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is salvation. Now, obviously, because Christ says so, it's a truth here. Obviously, a person can still yet not be in the kingdom. Can be lost and still in his sins and undone and yet be close to being in. Hmm? You know, theological systems tend to put all sinners into one general category. And I know generally true, it is generally true, and I accept the depravity of man, that men are dead in trespasses and sins. They are blind, and they are, unnat- they are naturally unseeking. But folks, Jesus did not always speak in such terms concerning men. There is such a thing as being some men being closer to being in and getting in than others. Now, who might these souls be? And as we look at these just elements that pop out of this young man, we can say if these elements, if you're not in the kingdom of God, but yet these are a little bit true of you, that could be a good sign. But if they're not true of you, you could be one that is far, far from the kingdom of God. What are they? I have three, and then we're going to have a concluding point of things that we see that indicate that a person can be near, not yet in, but near to the kingdom of God. Number one. The first is this. Have you, number one, been thinking and wondering and even searching what the Scriptures say to you? It's interesting that this man's career was Old Testament study. He was a scribe. That was his professional job. He was to study it academically, and he studied the Old Testament as a matter of vocation. But there came a point in which his study of the Scriptures left being just cold academic legalism and started to be the Word of God to him. I mean, here's an indication. He had been reading. It it, it just hadn't been reading and studying legalistically the Bible. He hadn't been just studying for the sake of argument. He had begun to realize that God had a Word for him and that he needed to know what God said. It's interesting, beloved has have you become interested at all in what the scriptures say, or the only time you read the Bible or take the Bible, you take the Bible to church and you may read along with the preacher as he as he announces his text, but you never read it with any curiosity and interest, and you never read it as, hey, My life depends upon knowing what this book says. Well, it's an interesting fact that this phenomena, the further you are away from salvation and the kingdom of God, the less interested and concerned you are in what the Bible teaches and what the Bible says. If you're one of these people that I don't give a hoot what the Bible says, You are not close to the kingdom of God. You're not in it. And you're far from being in it. But if you've come at least to the place where you can open up the Bible and say, what does God have to say to me? What's important for me here? Then you may be getting close. The closer you are, if ever, to entering the kingdom of God, you become interested, In the words that are coming out of the mouth of God. Because you can't live without them. If you're going to be saved, you're going to have to learn to believe them. And to trust them. And to understand them. So here it is. This guy had been, he had been just more than just studying the Bible academically. He had been doing more than just reading his daily Bible readings. I mean, he began to pick it up and say, I've got to know. What God says to me. Well, this is so vital. If you're close to entering the kingdom, you're not saved, but if you're close, you've been really getting real serious about what the Bible says. In fact, biblical issues and truths of the Scripture, you cannot get out of your mind. It is a great day when you start reading the Bible because you want to, and because no one is telling you to do it. That's good, brother. Amen. That's good. If you're close, you'll start thinking and asking questions. You see, God's word comes to you as a written document, a book, words which mean something, words which have ultimate consequences. And you must deal with the business of what saith the Lord. You know, you can't do without this book if you're going to be saved. These words will make you wise into salvation. You've got to know them. You have to understand them. You can't be indifferent flipping about the book. The book must become your book and God's Word to you. You know, all sorts of words are important in our life. Think about it. Here's our teenage son. He gets up 16 years old. Okay, Daddy, I'm going to start driving now. Okay, get out and drive. Well, listen, can you just drive out on these maddening roads in San Antonio? Can you just drive on them because you want to? No. You have to have a legal document. Now, you may drive, but you're not legal. You can get in real trouble. You see, you've got to have a document. You've got to have written words that say you can drive. Well, me and my girlfriend, we're going to be married. Well, God will marry us. God says if you're going to marry a woman, He said, I want it legal. Sure, certainly the Lord joins, but he, there's such a thing as a marriage license. There's such a thing as a document. My wife and I, we've got a document that says we're married. What I'm saying is, you've got to have these things, right? Just I'm just saying, well, what value words have in our own function of life? Almost any area of life that you think of words, documents mean something to us. We do not function properly. Without words, we've got to have them. They're vital. My friend, do you think God of heaven is going to speak to us in His word, and we are going to be indifferent. Callous, neglectful of God's holy Word with impunity? No! If you neglect the words of Scripture, you shall perish. You need to know, search the Scriptures, Jesus said. If you're not willing to do that, I can't help you. That's what Jesus is saying. You need to search the Scriptures. And the Scriptures will always testify of Christ. So you cannot neglect God's document, which is the blueprint for your life, with impunity. The words in this book will be your life or your death. This guy had been reading and thinking for himself. And beloved when anyone gets a little serious enough to start to rebuild. I'm not saying God... I'm not limiting God here of what God can do, mind you. The Lord is sovereign in all things. But I'm just saying it is a good sign. It's an encouraging thing when you begin to see your sons or daughters start picking up the Bible and reading it on their own. Because they want to know what God says. This guy had been reading and thinking for himself. And God can and will begin to reveal Himself to an honest heart concerned and desirous to know the truth. if you're neglectful and you don't care about what the Bible says, you're not even close to being in. Number two, The next thing that we see about this young man is he's beginning to break away from the herd. His peer group. His social order. He was beginning to break with the traditional views around him. He was beginning to pull away from his peers. If you're not... And this is also a good sign. When you begin to pull away from the world, and you begin to be a little bit unconcerned about being like everybody else and thinking like everybody else, that's a hopeful sign of being near the kingdom of God. You see, it's an interesting thing. I was studying this very carefully. Every reference to scribes and Pharisees up to this point had been negative. Everything said about the scribes and Pharisees up to this point was all bad. In fact, this group had already plotted to destroy Jesus. This particular group of people of which this man was a part. They were determined in John... In fact, Mark 3, six, they were determined to destroy Jesus. But here he is, as it were, one of this group... He begins to listen to Christ. And He says things openly. That indicates He's beginning to break with the status quo. He's beginning to pull away. If you will be saved, listen to me, if you are going to enter in the kingdom of God, it's going to require you to think for yourself. That's what God allows you to do. He does allow you to think, come now, saith the Lord, and let us reason together. He allows you to think. He wants you to think. He wants you to think about your life. He wants you to think about what's best for you. He wants you to reason. If you will be saved, it will require some independent action, a solitary move. Here is amazing. Breaking away from the multitude whose lives were wrong and their doctrines and beliefs were wrong. In one sense, you're going to have to be willing to be an oddball. Not fitting in anymore to what most people think and do. If you're not willing to be able to stand alone, I'll go with Jesus and I'll stand alone if I have to. If you want the herd to do your thinking for you and you want to follow the crowd, you will follow a multitude to destruction. But if you will be saved, you're going to have to begin to break with the herd. You're going to have to come out from a mountain town and be separate. Most everyone in this group His school, his field of study, believed that the law of Moses and the sacrificial system of works was everything. And to hear one of their peers openly agreeing with the one that they hated and amending his interpretation of the law was bold and risky. You know, it's a wonderful thing when God begins to show you a little truth. And that's the way it is. Listen, no one just gets all, very few people just get saved all at once with a whole load dumped on them at one time. You come, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, and you hear the truth and you accept it. You go where it leads you. How vital it is. If you want, and when you do see what is true and right, you must take a stand regardless of what others think or say. Brother Joe read the other night the Revelation passage in 21, verse 8, which the first list of people that perish, the first big group of people that go to hell are cowards. Cowardice is hell deserving. And listen, if God has shown you a truth, if He's shown you something that's real, you've got to be willing to take a stand and go where that leads you. And this guy was willing to do that. He was willing to break with his peer group. This is a principle. Even in unconverted people. Mark 4, 24 and 25. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you. To him that hath, that means to him who does something with what he has given, more shall be given. That's the way it is. You see, Everybody, you begin to be thinking about this. And you begin to come up with conclusions of what really is true. And you bow to it. You come to the place to accept it and to go where the truth is leading you. If you hear anything or see anything or given any degree of knowledge of the truth, think on it. Go where it leads you. We all come to the full knowledge of the truth when we have followed the smaller portions of truth that are given to us. My question to you this morning is, when are you, if you're not saved, when are you going to start to think and act on your own and quit letting the devil and the herd and others do your thinking for you? For only truly independent thinkers and doers ever become followers of Christ. Someone might say, I am a free thinker. No, you're not. For if you thought honestly and analytically and factually, you would repent and believe the Word of God and surrender everything you have to the Lord Jesus Christ. But as long as you allow the crowd, the group, the herd the prevailing theories, the prevailing philosophies and opinions to rule you, you are far from entering the kingdom of God. So, till you shut out and off all those constant outside voices that always want to do your thinking for you, To you can come place that you get a little steel and turn off those outside voices right. Right. you're not close to entering the kingdom of God start thinking about yourself thirdly I preached too long it is a really favorable sign Here, this is a really good. When a light comes on in your heart, when you hear the word of God expounded, when it rings a bell, like here, he had studied, he had thought, he had come to a conclusion, and here he hears Jesus expound the meaning of the law and the meaning of the commandments and what was, and his heart jumped. Moved him. It moved him enough to say, you know, teacher. See, he may have not understood the full implications of his teacher yet. In fact, he didn't. But he at least recognized truth, and it rung a bell in his soul. Oh, beloved. This is a favorable sign. When there is a true heart close to entering into the kingdom of God, there is a stirring when you hear the truth, and if there is that stirring in your heart, you're not far from the kingdom. As I said, this lawyer may not have understood at this point the true nature of the teacher he was dealing with. But he was touched and thrilled to hear such illuminating and insightful analysis of the meaning of the law. And being in agreement and knowing it was the truth he immediately said, Amen. You did good. You spoke the truth. This is right. Listen, I'll tell you for sure, you are far from God in His kingdom when you are sitting under the sound explanation and expository preaching of the Word of God. You are thinking about, wonder what I'm going to do this afternoon. I wonder about this upcoming fishing trip or hunting trip. I wonder what's on my schedule. I wonder what we're going to have for dinner. When you are ho hum, what does it matter? Who cares? I wish those wild eyed fanatics would shut up. You're not close to enter the kingdom of heaven. But when you hear sound truth faithfully explained, and you say, I'd like to hear that again, you're not far. From the kingdom of God. When you like what you just heard, and the words that are coming out of your mouth are a very valid indication of whether you're close or closer or far off. We have a man coming to our church at this time. He's not saved. I've been witnessing to him for years. He's a good guy, he's a good moral guy. But he just doesn't know the Lord. He's just not in that realm of grace. He's not in the kingdom. And I remember preaching my I was reading, really, the other day he was in the church, and I was preaching my heart out to him. Praying as I was speaking to him, I was wanted to speak to his soul. And he came up after the service, and you know what? The first words out of his mouth were, "Did you know there was a a gun show coming up this Sunday?" Here all the time I was preaching, he was thinking about the gun show. This young man, when he heard Christ preaching and expounding the Word, said, Amen. That's right. Jesus told him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Now, this brings me to my final and closing point, and that is this. We need to understand that being close to entering is not actually the same as full, settled entrance into the kingdom. If this wise and thoughtful scribe would be saved, he must continue to think and continue to even hear more than what was said. And Jesus did give him more. If you'll read, and I'll not take time, verse 35 through 37, Jesus did give him more to think about. How can David's son be David's Lord? Think on it. I'm sure he did because he was already thinking. What I'm saying is this Beloved, There's a difference in getting close. Oh, the most tragic thing in the world would be to be close. But to not get in. To be thinking, but not to think the matter all the way through. Getting in requires more than just reading the Scripture. More than breaking away from the wrong crowd. More than even correct knowledge of the law. You see the revelation by Christ? That... The scribe said amen to was the beginning of the dilemma, if he would think about it. For you see, it concerns the law and the first commandment and what is said and what God doth require of men. Now what does, here's the thing, you see this? What does obedience to the law mean? What does? Okay, the spiritual requirement of the law is to total, unmitigated, constant love of God. And the total, unmitigated, constant, unselfish love of neighbor. If he would be thinking, he would say, Can I do this? Have I done this? You see, beloved, listen to me. The purpose of the law is not to save. No part of the law or the commandment can save us. The purpose of the law is to expose our sin, our failure, Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It's to expose our status as sinners. Have we kept the law? No. Do you keep this law, this greatest commandment, do you keep it? Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, do you keep it? I mean, never down there we have a a good spell where we get closer, right? You see what I'm saying? If he was thinking, have I kept this law? Have I obeyed God? Do I really love my neighbor as myself? And he would come to the conclusion, I need to hear more. Is there more? Yes, there is. There's a gospel of free grace that God can pardon law-breaking sinners because He has atoned for their sins and propitiated for their ungodliness in the shed blood of His only begotten Son. This young man needed to hear more. He was not far But to get in, he would have to continue to hear and to think. That's why Jesus gives, I think, primarily this next teaching concerning who the Son of David is. That the Son of David is not only David's natural seed, but He's David's Creator. And He'd think that matter through. He would... Did He ever get in the kingdom? Let's hope so. We cannot help but believe that He did. That He did come to see that Jesus was more than just a good Master, but that He was God. And let me tell you this, when you ever come to see inwardly that Jesus is God and you believe it, you are saved you will be saved. You can voice it all day long and say, I believe Jesus is God. Oh, that won't cut it. But when you inwardly in your heart see that He's Lord, He's God, He's Creator, He's Redeemer, you will be saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the Gospel. We thank You for the free grace of God. We thank You for forgiveness of sins. We thank you for giving up your son. We thank you that his blood paid for our transgressions. We thank you that a new birth puts the law of God in our hearts and we do love you. We do love our neighbor. Lord, continue to work in us both the will and the do of your good pleasure. Bless this church. Thank you, dear Lord, for the privilege once more, and more being among these precious people. Keep your hand upon them in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.